Welcome to the Ultraviolet Tide podcast presented by The Ultraviolet. Join us every week for a healthy dose of skincare tips and tricks, lifestyle advice, mental health advocacy, and more all rolled into one weekly podcast. Without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Back to the Ultraviolet Tide. I am very excited for this conversation because I am welcoming back a guest I had on a previous podcast. So Cassandra, welcome to the Ultraviolet Tide. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. This has kind of come full circle. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about all the fun life changes and life updates that have happened over the past couple years. Um, But before we dive in into the fun stuff of this episode, I am going to give a little bit of introduction so that our audience can get to know you a little bit better. So Dr. Cassandra Wilder is a naturopathic doctor and integrative hormone expert. Passionate about cyclical health and menstruation, she teaches women how to work with their bodies and apply foundational tools to return to balance. She's the creator of the popular period and hormone program, Period Reboot, and hosts the Cyclical Podcast. I also had the pleasure of interviewing Cassandra all the way back in July of 2020, which ironically was July 6, 2020, which is the same date we're recording this episode, (laughs) which I think is so funny. And at that time, I was so blown away by the knowledge you had in our conversation that I knew I wanted to welcome you back to continue imparting that wisdom and knowledge. Um, So to kick us off, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and the work that you do? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Well, probably similar to many women listening, I had a lot of cycle issues when I was in my teens. I had very irregular periods, and then when I would get a period, they were very painful. So I did what most of us do. I went to a gynecologist, and my appointment was maybe five minutes long, and I was just given a prescription for birth control. And even though I was young, I remember just thinking, like, that's it. That's all you have? You didn't ask anything about my life or what I eat or anything. You just handed me a prescription that I don't understand. So that planted the seed really for me um, and made me start to ask questions. Like, is this really how we treat women in the medical system? So I went on to do my undergrad in healthy nutrition, but it wasn't until I went into naturopathic school that I really felt like I'd found my place where we weren't just talking about how to you know, get by and kind of live with our symptoms. Instead, we were asking, why are these symptoms happening? And how do we really address them on that root cause level? And I just really found my calling with hormones and the menstrual cycle. And it's just built and built over the years now. So I love that so many people see my podcast, my Instagram as their go-to place for all things related to hormones. And I love what I do. I think what you do is so powerful because we talked about this way back in our first conversation that so many things in women's health are seen as awkward or taboo, so we just don't Mm -hmm. talk about it. But in reality, it becomes so much easier to grasp when you do talk about it. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like we're all silently suffering. When Wouldn't it be nice if we could talk about all of this and give each other support rather than feeling like we have to just carry it inside? Right. I agree. Um, And the first thing I really want to dive into is hormones and how they affect our day-to-day life. So what role do hormones really play as we're going about our day? Oh my gosh. Well, in a simple summary, everything, (laughs) (laughs) you know, how you feel in the morning, your cortisol response, your stress response, your blood sugar balance, 
your energy and your body temperature with your thyroid, your hunger cues, how your body processes food, your libido, your menstrual cycle, like we could go on and on and on. So this is why if your hormones are imbalanced, usually you feel like everything is a mess. You're bloated and you're tired and you're cold and your cycle's irregular and your hair is falling out. Like usually you don't just see one symptom when the hormones are imbalanced. It feels like everything is kind of falling apart. And I think that's why it's so debilitating to live with a hormone imbalance. You mentioned cortisol. So let's talk a little bit about specifically the role stress plays in hormone regulation because our audience knows, they know stress, they know anxiety, they've lived it firsthand. So how does that kind of affect their hormone regulation when they are in those high stress situations? Yeah. Well, our body is incredible in that it is trying to keep us alive, right? So it will take the brunt of things Um, and kind of rearrange systems in the body as needed to survive. But over time, survival and thriving do not feel like the same thing anymore. You know, your body's focused on just getting through another day, not like aging well 50 years from now. So this is where I think we can have that gratitude that our bodies will do whatever it takes for us to make it through the day. But ideally, over time, this is where we'll start to have that awareness about cortisol and stress hormones so we can bolster in more support and we can start to look at other habits that could be just adding um, gasoline to the fire, so to say. So, right, if our life is really stressful because of circumstances outside of our control, but we're also maybe not taking the best care of ourselves, not eating, skipping meals, Um, have poor blood sugar balance, right? That just becomes more and more burden for the body. So those are the things that usually I focus on with people because those are the things within our control. There are many stressors though that sadly we just have to accept. Right. Know the things that are in our control and the things that aren't that we just have to learn how to manage. (laughs) Yeah. Easier said than done, but hey. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I was listening to an episode of your podcast, and I don't want to give away the entire episode because I want people to go and listen to it, but you talk about signs that you're living on stress hormones. So what Mm -hmm. are signs that you're kind of living in that fight or flight? And I thought these were very interesting because it's things that you might not tie to it initially. Totally. And even I dare say they're normalized. Like Mm -hmm. it's no big deal. Everyone feels this way once you hit 30 or once you hit 40, it's like... Mm-hmm. They're not really investigated. Um, no libido is one of the most common ones. Your libido is often the first symptom that you're living on stress hormones. So if suddenly you feel like you're in a great relationship and your libido previously was higher and now it is at a zero, that's something to look at. Not being hungry in the morning, though, is another one that is so commonly overlooked. Mm-hmm. But if you're waking up and feel like you don't need to eat till 11 or noon, that's actually not a great sign. This means that your body's running on stress. And when you're stressed, things like hunger cues are turned off. So you want to wake up with a voracious appetite and you want to get hungry throughout the day. So if you feel like you could sip on coffee all day and be fine, not the best sign. Um, But some other signs, um, premature aging definitely can be a long-term sign of running on stress hormones. Um, Fatigue certainly can feel... Um, or can be a sign that you're running on stress hormones, Um, menstrual cycle irregularities. So we really kind of see it all expand out. Um, But the irony, you know, of course, is some people feel they 
thrive running on stress hormones. So then they really fight me and they're like, no, but I feel amazing with my insane job and my crazy schedule. Mm -hmm. But you know, the saying is it feels good until it doesn't. So at some point, everything catches up. You also mentioned something that I think you called it wired, but tired, which I thought Mm -hmm. was very interesting. Can you dive into that as well? Yeah, a lot of women who have especially cortisol dysregulation will before bed feel tired, but their mind is also going nuts. So they're thinking about tomorrow and what are they going to buy and what are they going to do with their kids? And, oh, did they forget this thing at Costco? And like they're kind of dealing with, you know, in yoga, they call it the monkey brain Mm -hmm. where you're going through everything. Um, And these are people that often then will tell me, I just I can't go to bed until one or two in the morning because that's how long it takes for my brain to turn off. So we talked a little bit about, okay, so signs you're living on stress hormones. And one of those things that you might see is, you know, your period isn't regular. There's a lot of irregularity there. And you even talked about your personal experience with going, having these painful periods and just being prescribed birth control, which I think a lot of women can relate to that Mm because it's like, here's a Band-Aid and you don't deal with the issues until later on. Yeah. It's unfortunately kind of the Western approach is a pill for every ill, you know, a birth control. But, um, yeah. you know, when we have irregular periods, what that tells us is that either ovulation isn't happening or it's happening delayed some months. Because when you ovulate, you will either have a period in two weeks or you'll be pregnant. There's no other option. You can't ovulate and then just not get a period. So this comes back to the stress piece. If we're stressed, that directly impacts ovulation. And so rather than, again, dismissing irregular periods and being like, oh, we'll just get on the pill and force your body to bleed. It's not even a period when you're on birth control. It's called a medication-induced withdrawal bleed. I feel like just that, just that you know, sounds like, oh, right. <laughs> like you're forcing right. your body to have a bleed it doesn't want to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, it's just... It's unfortunate that we don't have more of an awareness to look a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Instead, the Band-Aid approach is just what's usually presented. Yeah, it's scary too because I've heard so many horror stories of women who get on it and their gut is just horrible. I mean, they're experiencing issues that they've never had before or maybe yeah. like they're experiencing like certain moods that they were like, it doesn't feel like me. I feel like I'm I'm like moody and irritable and, mm-hmm. and get off of it for that reason. But then you also have women who finally get off of it after decades and then can't conceive. Yeah, there's definitely a dark side to all of it. And I'm not anti-birth control, but I'm very pro-informed consent. And that's what bothers me is for a lot of us, you know, when we're 14 years old, is anyone telling us the long-term risks? Is anyone telling us the signs, you know, that maybe that birth control method isn't a good fit for us and to immediately come back to reassess? Like, no, we're told it's going to fix our periods and fix our acne and balance our hormones. And it does none of those things. So that's why the conversation is so challenging because women are getting on this without making an informed decision. And that's really what your program, I mean, I think that's a lot of the women that you work with, right, are people who are trying to like, oh, man, okay, so I I started going on birth control, or I started doing these things because I thought it would regulate it for me, and I wouldn't have mm-hmm. to think about it, but now I don't know what to do. Exactly. 
Exactly. They're like my middle school health class is, you know, the only education I've ever had about my body. Right. Like, yeah, where do I start? How do I even know if I'm ovulating? What does it mean if I am bloated or have acne or, you know, yeah, I don't have any libido. What does that mean? And I think it sadly shows how disconnected we all are. I was as well. But it's also a beautiful invitation to get reacquainted and to learn our bodies and to be body literate. Mm -hmm. It makes it so much easier when you actually understand like what's going on and you can kind of give a symptom a name or a feeling a name. It just, there's a lot of power in that. And I think that goes, you know, beyond hormones and beyond that, just into everyday, you know, symptoms. It's, it's honestly how a lot of the women in our community knew that they might have skin cancer because they felt something was off and kind of had that like gut feeling that something was off. Um, But let's talk about, so if people are listening and they are wondering what is one thing that they can start today to begin balancing their hormones and understand that it's not a a simple, easy fix, but just one thing that they can start doing that will hopefully start the domino effect of change. Yeah, great question. I always start with the foundations, meaning these are things that we're all doing every day anyways. And if we can improve these daily habits, like how we eat and how we sleep and everything like that, that just that, while it sounds so simplistic, can have such a big life-changing effect. So I always start with nourishment with the women that I work with. So you know, for a lot of women, especially that have been going through a really stressful time in life, it's so common to see these women just unfortunately not prioritize eating enough, eating regularly, or, you know, to have the mental bandwidth to even think about how to balance out their meals that they are having. So from a hormone standpoint, ideally, we'd want to ensure we're always eating breakfast within an hour of waking. So, you know, some people will hear that and be like, what? <laughs> I can't do that. I'm not hungry in the morning, you know, but just that can make such a life-changing change in your body. Um, not eating breakfast in the morning and then maybe even worse, not eating breakfast plus drinking coffee on an empty stomach really can just increase stress hormones. So one simple thing you can do is ensure you're eating breakfast and with all your meals and snacks, make sure there's a protein in there. So Add some eggs, add some cottage cheese, some meat, a protein powder, whatever it is that you like. Um, Just that is going to support your blood sugar. It'll support your liver health. It'll give you all your amino acids that you need, you know, which of course are your building blocks of life. I really like it sounds simplistic again, but when I work with women, obviously I start with these simple foundations and within a month, usually most of them are like, do we even need to keep working together? Because I feel so much better. And I'm like, you know, if you got what you needed, that's fine. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, I guess that is something that I've heard time and time again, that a lot of us do not eat enough protein. And I feel like I definitely fall into the category of that because I don't particularly like meat. It's not really something that I really crave or like. Mm -hmm. So I know I definitely fall into that category. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I always say it's easy to get your carbs and fat in and protein Mm -hmm. requires like forethought and you have to like have the stocked fridge or have the snacks ready to grab to run out the door, but it can be done. And like you said, even if you don't maybe want to like sit down and eat a steak, there's lots of great little grab and go kind of options that can help you get in your protein. Generally, I'm recommending 80 plus grams of protein a day for most women, which can sound like a lot, but 
again, with just that little bit of forethought, you'll find it's easier to reach than you think. Do you have like favorite, maybe like vegetarian options that are just packed full of protein that people can supplement if they maybe don't want to eat meat? It definitely is trickier if you're vegetarian or if you're vegan, especially if you're vegetarian and you want to do dairy, that really, really does help. Like things like cottage cheese and yogurt are so great in terms of quality fat and protein. You know, one little cup of cottage cheese can have about 20 grams of protein. So you get a lot of bang for your buck. Um, Certainly more like plant-based foods like lentils and beans, um, even some vegetables can have some protein, but you're going to also have a higher carb content. So you just have to keep that in mind when you're trying to balance out your plate. I found that a lot with um, dairy supplements. It's so funny. It doesn't have dairy in it, but then you have a ton of sugar and a ton of other things that are added in. (laughs) I know. I know. That's the thing. And and that's part of what I teach so many women is just how to read a food label because Mm – you know, marketing, these companies spend a lot of money to kind of convince us to buy things. And if we don't feel again, really informed and in how to see through the fancy packaging, right. you know, we can fall prey to it and end up buying this stuff that's not that good. Or even things that are labeled. I know they've been cracking down a lot on labels that maybe say things that aren't regulated, like clean right. and organic and exactly. things like that, that fall into categories of being a little bit tricky and your mind immediately goes, oh, it's healthy. Yeah. But again, if you have that oat milk that has like 30 grams of sugar in it. Right. But it's gluten-free. It's fine, right? (laughs) Right. Right. It makes things so much trickier. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people fall into the camp of like, I am trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to figure out, you know, dissect my habits and figure out what's actually beneficial to my body. But it's hard to know what is technically deemed as right and healthy. Yeah. There's so much noise in the health space and, you know, we have more access to health information than ever before. And yet we have more disease than ever before. So it does just show how it's overwhelming. And that's, I think why pretty much everyone that I know feels a little confused about what to even eat and how to eat it. And should I be doing intermittent fasting? But now Dr. Cassandra is telling me to eat breakfast. Like it is confusing. Um, So certainly, Trusting your gut has to come into play here. But I guess one thing I would add to that is so many studies that show things maybe like fasting or keto or a certain exercise program are beneficial. These studies are usually done on men and postmenopausal women almost exclusively. Mm -hmm. So if you feel confused about what to eat or you feel like you and your husband will do the same diet or something and he has great results and you gain 10 pounds or something – This is why your body as a woman of a reproductive age is very rarely truly studied. So just keep that in mind. Interesting. Interesting. No, that never would have occurred to me because I think that is the basis of a lot of things like, oh, there's a study done on it and it's shown these effects and they they studied maybe 100 people. So if it worked for those 100 people, it worked for me. But I didn't even think about the fact that maybe the, the group being studied isn't applicable. Right. Apparently, if you're in your reproductive years, you're just too dang difficult to study. So just leave them out. Who cares about them? Oh, man. We're not that difficult. (laughs) I know. And like, what percentage of the world's population, you know, is a woman of a reproductive, you know, age? Like, I don't know, what, 35% at least? So it's pretty silly. It is silly. So when people come to work with you, do you have like a most frequently asked question or concern or just something that you hear time and time again? 
Um, fertility definitely seems to be one of the top things, especially in recent years. I think so many women are given very poor information about what that process even looks like. So I'll give an example. Hmm. A woman will start working with me and say, she has been trying for the last maybe 10 months to get pregnant. So I'll say, okay, great. Um, have you been tracking ovulation? And she'll look at me like, what? No, why would I be tracking ovulation? So then I'll explain that, well, there's only really up to five days of the month where you can even get pregnant. And, you know, these women often are so bewildered, like my doctor just told me to have more sex every day. And I'm like, your doctor said that, excuse me. You know, so it's like, we're, we're, we have a puzzle in front of us, but someone like threw out all the edge pieces and we're trying to put mm. all this together and it makes no sense. And it's like, we're missing half of the, the puzzle. So, mm-hmm. so much of, you know, fertility, PCOS, acne, you know, whatever women are dealing with, they feel overwhelmed because they keep getting these little bits and pieces, but no one really connects all the dots for them to show them what needs to be done to actually see long-term healing. I think PCOS is a huge one too, that you just mentioned that is so tricky because there's no way to truly know whether or not, I mean, there's no like, yes, take this test. You had PCOS. I mean, there's certain things they can look for, but there's still not a lot of information about it. Exactly. It's, it's interesting because I'll meet some women that tell me they have been diagnosed, but then when I ask what criteria their physician used, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I don't think you have PCOS because that's based on nothing. You know, just because you have irregular periods doesn't mean you have PCOS. And then I'll meet other women who Mm. overwhelmingly probably have PCOS, but no one has ever diagnosed them. So it's, it's like the most confusing disease. Um, But really, at the end of the day, whether it's PCOS or many of these other symptoms, you know, what it tells me is just look at the hormones. Something has gone awry Mm -hmm. in our hormones. When people go to, let's say, maybe they don't have a holistic doctor that they go to, um, they're they're going to the doctor. What are questions that they can ask and be aware of to be their own best advocate when they're in that doctor's office? I love that question. I think the first thing, it's not exactly what you asked, but the first thing is to remember you are your own best advocate. So if you're waiting for a doctor to ask you the right questions or to know how to support you, unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way. So the more you educate yourself and the more you get familiar with your body and dive into all of this information, the more you will be able to show up at a doctor's office not only more informed, but also more confident. I think a lot of people still have that white coat syndrome where they feel like, well, I don't want to offend them or I don't want to, I don't want to be a difficult patient. And you're not, you need to advocate for yourself. But if, yeah, if I was going in to see like a general MD, I guess I would be asking questions like, you know, what are your opinions on doing comprehensive hormone testing first and foremost There's obviously so many great medical doctors that are there to test whatever a patient requests. But unfortunately, I hear a lot of stories of women going in and their doctor saying things like, your hormones change every day. What would be the point in testing them? Or, you know, oh, you want your thyroid tested? Well, we'll only test TSH, which is not Mm. by any means a full thyroid panel. Um, So I think there's a lot of old school thinking in medicine, So Mm -hmm. as a patient, I would be literally basically interviewing them to see, 
if I ask for something for my body, will you support me with that? Or are you going to mm-hmm. tell me that I'm silly or I need to get off of Dr. Google or, you know, whatever? <laughs> right. I think that is a big thing. People are so terrified. And I fall into this category. You're so scared to like sound dumb or sound silly mm-hmm. and ask a question that maybe just is way out of left field. But then you leave the appointment and you're like, oh my gosh, well, I don't know what's going on. Right. They spewed maybe a bunch of jargon at me and I go to recount that information to my husband, but I don't even know what to say because I didn't understand anything that they said. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where hopefully finding a doctor that you feel like will pull it back a few steps and explain it in more layman's terms is going to be, I guess, part of that interview process. But yeah, I know it's unfortunately what I hear time and time again. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. And we also tell people, you know, it's okay to get a second opinion. It's okay to get a third opinion. Like if you're not comfortable with your care that you're receiving, go to someone else. I mean, I personally did that for my skin checks. You know, I went to a doctor up here who didn't want to biopsy something because I was so young. And I was like, well, you know, I have a family history of melanoma. I myself Mm -hmm. have had issues. I totally understand that I fall into a category of people who shouldn't be impacted, but that doesn't change the fact that it keeps me up at night and I'm thinking about it and I'm concerned about my body. So I went to see someone else who was totally fine with it. And that as a patient helps me sleep at night knowing that my health is being taken care of. Yes. And that if you ask for something to be run on your body, that they will just say yes. That's Yes. That should be like step one, right? <laughs> like, I know. Yeah, there's something crazy. I'm not entirely sure what it is, but there is definitely something about, you know, being in your 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 20s and people think, oh, you know, just to address it from a skin cancer angle, well, you're in your 20s. The likelihood of this is really low, but the reality is it's not. And more and more people are being diagnosed younger, but it's fantastic because more people are catching it younger and younger. Yes, Exactly, exactly. Well, Cassandra, this is such a great conversation and there's still so much to dive into, but I don't want to overwhelm people. So I'm going to lead them to your podcast if they want to learn more. Um, So where can people find you if they want to learn more? So your podcast and Instagram, all that fun stuff. Yeah, my podcast is The Cyclical Podcast with a C. It's on iTunes and Spotify and just about everywhere. And then my Instagram, not to you know, pat myself on my own back, but I think my, (laughs) my Instagram has a lot of really helpful free information. And that is at Dr. Cassandra Wilder. And then my website is CassandraWilder.com. Yep. And we'll put that all in the show notes, but I highly recommend if people are listening and they're super interested in learning more, they head over to the podcast, your website, your Instagram, because like you said, it is, there is so much information there. And I feel like every day I'm learning something new about my own health that I'm passing along to friends and family. Um, But Cassandra, thank you so much again. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Ultraviolet Tide podcast, a weekly podcast that delivers a healthy dose of skincare tips and tricks, lifestyle advice, mental health advocacy, and more, all rolled into one weekly podcast. You can find us at lowultraviolet.com and wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week on the Ultraviolet Tide.